Hey, everybody, welcome to the Daily Objective. And today is Freedom Friday, so there's a lot to talk about, and we'd better discuss it fast. You know, there's some things that are difficult to explain to young people today, like the fact people used to have iPods, big clunky computers. But the hardest for them to believe is that people used to advocate for liberty, for capitalism. I mean, conservatives used to talk about the individual and they were for the founding fathers and their principles. It's, it's really quite surreal to, to remember that. And the number one uh, argument people used to make against capitalism back when people were advocating for it is they would say, what about Sweden? Sweden is socialist and they're doing fine. They get some nice goodies from the government. They, are all, they don't have to worry about money. Life is good in Sweden. Why can't we just be like that? Well, I'll tell you, I'm not going to be the one to answer that, but we've got uh, some people that uh, know a little bit about that. First, let me introduce a frequent host of the show. People have called her the, the Joan of Arc of economic liberty, South America's very own Gloria Alvarez. How are you? Hey guys, how are you? I'm uh, very happy to be here in the in the Daily Objective, and uh, I hope that you are all doing fine, especially to talk about these topics. Mm -hmm. And of course, a uh, special guest today, a guy whose name I'm hoping to pronounce correctly. He's currently in Sweden itself, so I think we'd better hear him out on this. Johan Norberg. <laughs> you did well you? on that pronunciation. I'm good, thank you. Thanks sure. for inviting well, me. Of course. And, you know, in America, we, we, we really know about global uh, cultures and pronunciations. That's, that's <laughs> what we're known for. Anyway, uh, Johan, let, uh, let me pass the floor to you. Let me pass <clears throat> you the mic. Uh, first of all, what is socialism? Well, socialism is uh, basically the government owning the means of production, owning all the stuff with which we create wealth, which includes not just uh, human beings and brains, but uh, all the businesses, the factories, the shops, and so on. And um, it's a good point that you're making that you, Sweden used to be the case, uh, the one example that people mentioned that this is where socialism works. And I think the reason why they picked Sweden is that every other example that they chose it was the Soviet Union, it was Cuba, it was Venezuela. For one or another reason, it always ended up with breadlines, with hunger, and with labor camps. So Sweden was the one decent place, which seemed quite nice, and still people thought it was socialist. And you're saying it was not and is not socialist? Well, no, actually, it never was. Uh, we never had a government that socialized businesses in Sweden. Uh, they did lots of other bad stuff. <laughs> they, they socialized consumption in many ways by raising taxes. And especially we had a period in the 1970s and 1980s where they were moving towards socialism big time. Um, but that was the, the one uh, period when that really happened big time. And Ironically, this is the one period in Swedish history when our economy tanked, when we lagged behind all the other countries, and it ended up in a terrible financial crisis in the early 1990s. And then we've done everything from the left to the right, from the center right to the Social Democrats to get away from that model. So you, uh, you, kind of, uh, you, you kind of were backing away from some of the decisions that you made in Sweden, but people are still uh, agitating for the Swedish model. 
And it sounds like the Swedish model is sort of an ever-changing type of thing, like uh, some things were tried here, some things were tried a different way. And uh, ultimately, maybe people have even realized a bit over there in Sweden that economic li liberty and property rights, things like that, are, you know, a good thing. You know, that's what built the Swedish model originally. That's how we got rich. Sweden was the fourth richest country on the planet in 1950. And in 1950, Sweden had a free market, an open economy, and a limited government. Our taxes were at 20% of GDP, and that's lower what it, than what it was in the United States at the time, and 10 percentage points lower than it was in Great Britain, France, Germany, countries like that at the time. So we got rich on a very free market-based model. Then what happened was that we got so incredibly rich that some people thought that yeah, we can now do anything. Let's just start consuming. Let's just redistribute this stuff and give it out to people who don't work, who, uh, who need it, or to our friends and, and relatives. And that's when we started to get into that, not really a socialist model, but a big government welfare state model in the 1970s and 1980s. But again, that's the period when we lag behind the others. So it's like that old joke. How do you end up with a small fortune? Well, you start with a big fortune and then you waste most of it. Yeah, the way I've heard that a similar joke said is a, a man saying, when I married my wife, she made me a millionaire. Before I married her, I was a multimillionaire. Uh, I guess the <laughs> similar thing applies to uh, the, the effect that the, the big, big government or welfare state has on the wealth of, wealth of a nation. Now, Gloria, you're out there fighting the good fight. You're arguing with socialists, I imagine, in South America. Some people probably never even got the memo about the failures of socialism and communism. They, they still think this is an original idea. They, they're saying, let's try this out. Uh, uh, have you come across the Swedish argument often in your ventures? Absolutely. I mean, uh, Sweden and, uh, and, and all of Scandinavia is put in here like the Disneyland of socialism, where socialism actually worked because the excuse is always, well, you know, socialism is not the problem. Is that Fidel Castro corrupted himself or Hugo Chavez corrupted himself? If only someone good enough to not corrupt himself would go and implement socialism, we would be like, like Scandinavia, like Sweden. And it's like, no guys, uh, first of all, what people don't understand in Latin America when they admire uh, socialist Scandinavia is that they think that first comes the redistribution of wealth that magically the, these countries have a lot of wealth and they just redistribute it with, you know, welfare for all. They do not get the importance of guaranteeing private property. It is impossible to think that there will be one day a Swedish major or a governor in Denmark that would wake up like the Latin American socialist dictators do and go around being like, expropriate this uh, drugstore, expropriate this uh, supermarket, expropriate this. That would never happen. You know, the, the, the conception that private property is needed in order for everyone to be productive, to then create wealth. And as Johan was explaining, there was a point where there was so much wealth that they tried uh, having this experiment. I, I think I, I read a book called Sweden, the other model uh, from uh, Mauricio Rojas, that from the 60s to the 90s, Sweden tried with a more controlled economy. And it was a disaster. 
So, so they left that behind. Uh, so it is really ridiculous when Latin American socialists tell you that Scandinavia is the model to copy or, or, or to emulate, when here, if you go to the index of economic freedom, for example, you will find that Scandinavia is always in the best, uh, in the best places, on the top. Whereas Argentina and Venezuela and Mexico and Guatemala are always in the lowest or, or even from the middle down. So if we want to be more like Scandinavia, what we should be copying is not socialism at all. And yes, they have welfare systems that they don't even know how it's going to be sustainable in the long run because they're not having enough young people as to maintain this welfare forever. So these are problems that conveniently socialists in Latin America ignore. With one more, everybody in Scandinavia pays taxes, except in, in, in Latin America, that's not the case. We have even 80% of informal economy. So everybody wants to be a Scandinavian, but someone else pays the taxes, right? So, so there are a lot of things that we want the, the, the good parts of it, but we don't want the obligations and responsibilities of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the point about uh, young people or people uh, paying taxes, or there's not enough young people paying in, uh, it sounded like you were saying, and the, the culture of entitlement, it discourages people from, um, from going out there and wanting to be a success story. And my, my impression of Sweden fr from afar, admittedly, is that there's sort of an element of embarrassment to wanting to make something so, of yourself. So there's no uh, entrepreneurial spirit as in the United States, uh, you know, I mean, homeless people in the U.S. have more of a uh, kind of pride in, in earning their keep than people in much of the rest of the world that I've found. In fact, I mean, I'm a little bit uh, tongue in cheek here. The one and only Swedish celebrity, PewDiePie, the YouTuber, he's famous for playing video games. I mean, that's all you guys could come up with. I'm joking, of course. You guys have ABBA and and a couple athletes, I, I, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but isn't that true, Johan? Is, is, yeah. is that true about the, there's no entrepreneurial spirit and the younger the generation, kind of the worse it gets? Yeah. Yes, I think you're partly right. Um, the sad thing about it is that this is the entrepreneurial spirit that made Sweden rich originally. We had that. People who built new companies, new technologies, inventions, hey, we've got the Nobel Prize here. We really wanted new innovations and insights and, and science and so on. Um, but then what happened was that we had this period of, of time, about 25 years, say 1970 to 1995, where we did everything to discourage business, innovation, entrepreneurship, individualism in Sweden. And this is the period that everybody still remembers about Sweden. They think, look, you were socialists and it seemed to work out well. It didn't work out well. It was awful. This was our Atlas Shrugged moment. All the innovators and entrepreneurs and businesses, they left Sweden. They went on strike, basically. You know, ABBA, yeah, but they hated that system. Uh, we had IKEA. IKEA left for the Netherlands. Tetra Pak, the, the major manufacturer, left for Switzerland. Ingmar Bergman, the famous playwright, left for Germany. Uh, the sports star. You mentioned the sports star. Well, Bjorn Borg and all the others, they left for Monaco and places like that that were more hospitable to people who made a different uh, difference in society and who wanted to make some money off on their talent or their inventions and, and their hard work. And 
unfortunately, we still have that legacy. For a very long time, the best thing that could happen was, if not getting a job in, in government, at least getting a lifetime job for one of the big multinational companies in Sweden. Then you had it safe. Whereas starting something anew, that's scary, dangerous. And if it, you pulled it off, you wouldn't be allowed to keep most of the fruits of your labor. I would say that a little bit that has changed since the in the last 20 years, we began to try to get back to more of free competition, lower taxes. You know, we lowered the corporate tax to the extent that it's lower than in most other industrialized companies, abolished taxes on wealth, property, gifts, inheritance, uh, reformed social security, things like that from defined uh, benefits to defined contributions. So lots of things have happened. And now we're starting to see some new startups and new inventions again, but it took quite a long time to get back there because it's so easy to destroy a culture, but it's difficult to create one. That's true. Um, and yeah, and even the aforementioned PewDiePie left Sweden as well. So uh, if Sweden is such a Disneyland of socialism, why are, why are all the successful people leaving? Um, but even worse than that is that successful people are not being born. And what I mean is potential is not being realized by people because uh, we like to emphasize here at the Ayn Rand Center UK the role of philosophy and ideas. And I think altruism as the sort of de facto default moral code makes people embarrassed and ashamed and internally guilty for wanting, period, let alone wanting millions and billions and independence and not feeling like they owe anything to their neighbors simply by virtue of their ability and achievement. So um, the, the battle is ultimately philosophical. And I lament to see that here in the US, uh, in recent decades, the brightest, most talented people are often flocking to the government, to politics, to Washington, D.C. At least I could say Washington, D.C. Is, uh, is, is among the highest of destinations for young, ambitious people. So forget intelligence for a minute, just ambition. If you're ambitious, the government is often where you go. And probably Silicon Valley and Hollywood are competitors uh, in terms of destinations where people go. And um, right now, Hollywood is completely shut down. And Silicon Valley, uh, who knows how long it'll last because the more uh, people demonize achievement and, and progress and, and wealth, uh, the more we're likely to see uh, Silicon Valley sort of merge with the government. But that's a whole nother episode. Um, Gloria, a lot of people say that what the argument they make is they say, okay, fine. So a little bit of capitalism creates the wealth. And then we can take that wealth and distribute it. What's so bad about that? Sweden did it. They Sweden, they're sort of doing it. Why can't, why can't we have that here? And you say? The problem is specifying. Because when you talk about, well, you know, everybody can receive a little bit of, of everything that we can take a little bit from. And you go like, okay, but tell me the name and last name and tell me the name of the company and exactly how much percentage are we taking away from who and who are the people with name and last name that are going to receive what part of that percentage and why and when you go into those specifics there has not been any socialist experiment that i know of uh, that has been able to be that accurate and because that accuracy 
First of all, I think it's impossible, right? Because you would have to, to map the entire population of a, of a country divided in two in between the poor fools that are gonna be always expropriated in a percentage and, and the lucky fellows that are always be on the, on the good side on the receiving end, right? And then you would have to determine for how long, for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, you know, like, how do you govern that way? So what happens in reality is an arbitrary mess. Everybody gets uh, their rights violated. There is no, um, you know, like agenda to, or, or like, like the specified steps to follow. And then you go to, to the disasters that have been, for example, Venezuela, right? 15,000 businesses from small to multinationals that have been expropriated. And now they have the title of the poorest country in Latin America. They just uh, upgraded uh, Haiti and, and Cuba in that category, right? So what I, what I try to explain is, give me the specifics. Tell me exactly who is going to win and who is going to lose. So at least we can have it, you know, clear. And, and when you go for those specifics, no one can give you, uh, no one can give you. So that's the problem with, it's a little bit of capitalism and a little bit of socialism. No, no, no. It's specifying me the little bits. And that's where it all gets lost. Anytime uh, you mix, your premises are mixed. It's the irrational side that's going to win out. So uh, when you cut a deal with the devil, when you say, okay, uh, I'm going to live by reason, I'm going to respect individual rights mainly, but you know, a little bit of theft is okay, a little bit of uh, evasion, a little bit of mysticism, a little bit of collectivism, you can see what happens. First of all, your soul is now a little bit chipped at and you're never going to achieve self-esteem, but in the big picture, in the, you know, as history unfolds, you only see those premises being carried out to their logical extreme to the point where today advocating for capitalism is laughed at nobody respects that just like almost nobody respects enlightenment individualism reason uh you know in, uh, individualism in philosophy observational i mean that's it really ultimately uh philosophy stands or falls on its own as a whole the way that i see it and um ultimately the battle it's going to need to be epistemological it's going to need to be in ethics people need to be driven uh, by the values that they want. They need to want a better life for themselves individually. And only then are they going to be inspired to fight for capitalism. Because as I mentioned, uh, the Swedish just haven't had that inspiration for the longest time. Uh, Johan, do you, ha you have a book or, or, a, or a YouTube channel or a, a TikTok you want to plug? Well, I, uh, I might as well uh, pitch my, um, my forthcoming book, Early September. Next one is called Open, the story of human progress, about how from ancient Mesopotamia and onwards, only open societies with open markets have been able to create wealth. And that's dependent on these individuals who see things anew, create new knowledge and build new technologies and business models upon that. You can see that in society after society, culture after culture. Every golden era has been dependent on that. And then the problem is, and this is where it ties into the Swedish story, whenever that has happened, then the looters and the uh, despots and the kings and the emperors, they've swarmed around that like flies and they've tried to extract as much as possible. And the moment they've done that too much, they've destroyed it all. And we've had so many golden eras in human history. 
where they should have gone through and broken through to a, an enlightenment, an industrial revolution. We've had it 1,000 years ago in the Arab world. We should have had it in China during the Song Dynasty and so on, because we had those individualist, entrepreneurial elements, but they were destroyed by the, um, the opponents, the authoritarians and the despots and those who just didn't like someone doing things in a different way. And uh, obviously, my conclusion is that we're in one of those periods now as well. We see great things happening the moment people get some freedom in, in culture, in business, in science, in technology. We've created better, greater wealth than ever before and more amazing technologies than ever before. But we also have a culture that, as you pointed out, that's just there and points out that we don't like the the atlases, if you uh, uh, want to put it that way. We don't want them running around doing things in a different way, uh, or at least we want all the revenue, we want all the goods. And uh, it could just happen again, and that's my fear. If we don't have a culture of, uh, cr for, in favor of creativity, entrepreneurship, individualism, then the creators will not have a defense. Absolutely right. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, having you back to talk about the book and uh, reading it as well. If it's written in English, I don't want to assume anything. I know uh, everyone it in is. the world learns English, but we can't be bothered to learn a couple phrases uh, in anything else. And uh, remember, all you folks watching at home, there would not have been an end to the Arab Enlightenment, but for Al-Ghazali and his uh, throwing reason under the bus. Similarly, the West, the way that I see it and probably the way a lot of students of objectivism see it, the enlightenment was ended by philosophers like Kant, who um, sort of uh, ended the type of uh, take on reason and individualism that had been happening till then. And after which you see intellectuals asking, how can we engineer society? So it's no longer about the pursuit of happiness. It's more about the philosopher Kings engineering society and the results obviously we can see. So remember the battle is epistemological. So take philosophy seriously and join us back here on Monday for more. We'll be back here next week. Five episodes of the Daily Objective. Thank you, Gloria. Thank you, guys. It's so good to see you. I hope you're doing well. See you soon. And thank you, Johan. Thank you. My pleasure. Everyone have a safe and happy, prosperous weekend. Goodbye. <laughs>